Let's begin with a prayer as we begin our time in the Word this morning. God, we give thanks today for uh, all that you give to us, all that you sustain us by for the food that we take for granted so often. God, for just the breath that we breathe in each morning that gives life. And we thank you for forgiveness and for purpose and for mission and for light this morning. And so God, today I pray that you would pour forth that light once again, and that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We've been in this series a couple of weeks called Illuminate, where we've been looking at the theme of light throughout scripture. And as I think back on moments about Christmas, I get a little nostalgic. There's those moments I go back to childhood and I think about the great traditions that we set up and the ones we're beginning with our own family. And some of those traditions had to do with light as I was thinking about it this week. One of those was we would go and we would look at Christmas lights. I don't know if that was a tradition in your family or not, but we'd find a neighborhood and we'd go and we'd celebrate, usually have some hot chocolate that we'd go with as well. Uh, and and I, I another memory I have is about light as well. We would go to a, another church in town on one of the weekends leading up to Christmas, and they had this big production called The Living Christmas Tree. We lived in San Diego. It was this church called Skyline Wesleyan. And every year we'd go, and they'd have these great you know, uh, moments of, of song, and they'd have choirs up there. And at the end, after the intermission, they'd have this giant Christmas tree, like levels where people would stand. And uh, the, the lights of that tree would just kind of light up as the music went along with it. It was this great memory from childhood. I remember candlelight Christmas services that we would go to uh, as well. And as I think about passing off tradition to our kids, I, I, I realize that light plays a role in all of that, uh, that there's something about the Christmas season that draws us back uh, to the image of light. And it comes right out of scripture. It comes right out of the prophecies. And I want to key in on that this morning. But before we come to light, I want to talk first about darkness, because uh, I also have memories at Christmas, unfortunately, about darkness. It takes me back to our, my childhood. I, we grew up in California for a lot of my growing up years, and, and our family was in Texas. So we'd take about a 20-hour, 20-mile, 20 let me get this right, 20-hour, it's more than 20 miles, 20-hour car ride every single year at Christmas time to go see family. And we'd stop by to see my mom's family in, in Abilene, and we'd get to Dallas to see my dad's family. And we loved getting to grandparents' house. We didn't grow up around them, so it was a big deal when we got to see grandma and grandpa on both sides. And, uh, but the, there was a problem along those lines because each of those houses we would go to, uh, when it came to bedtime, there was fear that came around the bedrooms that we slept in. I don't know if this was true at your grandparents' house or not, but it was for us. I remember at my mom's parents' house, so we, we slept in the front bedroom, my brother and I did. And, and, and every night when we would go to sleep, there'd be these shadows because there was a, I found out later, a street light that was just outside. But boy, when I was a kid, those shadows were some of the scariest things that you imagine monsters and the worst that went through your mind. Those branches would just scrape against the window. And as a kid, you couldn't put that into you know, a picture. You were just scared to death. And I remember being scared. And, and then we'd go to my dad's parents' house and we had a similar fear. We were upstairs, second floor. So good news was, you know, the monsters would get somebody else before us. But but I, it wasn't so much shadows there. It was a closet that we uh, we had, an, and I remember there was, my, my grandfather had this like back uh, like table thing he would lay out on, and he was in there, and there were other things that were hidden in there. I remember being so terrified of that closet, which didn't make any sense, but at the time it was terrifying. So I don't know if my parents know this to this day or not, but I, we made a pact, my brother and I did, that if he would sleep in the front be- bedroom at my m- mom's parents' house, and I would sleep by the scary closet, at my dad's parents' house. I don't know if you had fears like that, but these fears get passed on generation to generation. I know all that I put my parents through, I'm now dealing with my kids about. 
And it was when Maddox was three or four years old that I remember him having his first fear about bedtime. So I remember trying to be a good dad and snuggle up next to him. And I remember trying to ask him, you know, hey, Maddox, what is it that you're afraid of? What, what is it that, that scares you? And he said, well, it's the bear that's in my room. And I'm like, bear in your room? Didn't know that. But so he loved bears. When we go to the zoo, he would love, he, that was one of the exhibits he was going to visit every single time. And for some reason, he put that together and thought that bear had found his way into his room every night. So every night, it was an expedition that dad would go on, right? I would search floor to ceiling in every nook and cranny and corner. And I'd go in the closet and I'd assure him, look, the bear is not here tonight. You're safe. But eventually he shared with me that actually there was more that he was afraid of. It wasn't just the bear, it was the dark. And a lot of us have dealt with our kids that way, right? And at some point you begin to wonder, like, are they really afraid or is this just a bedtime stall technique, right? But every night I have to go in and I have to assure him, hey, there's no monsters in the closet. There's nothing under the bed. The bear's gone for tonight at least. Maybe fine. And you build that routine that over time they can learn. And we, we gave him a nightlight, I remember, and that helped a little bit. But eventually that wasn't enough. He needed more than that. He was afraid. And so we turn on the hall light to help a little more. And there were certain nights he was more afraid we'd even have to turn on the guest bedroom light. I'm sure there were neighbors that wondered what was going on at all nights, you know, at the Packer house next door. But many of you dealt with that with your own kids. But I, I want to say this is not just a childhood fear, is it? Darkness is something that many of us still struggle with. And it, it can be actual darkness that we're afraid of and what's hidden in the darkness. But it can also be uh, what, what's represented by darkness. You know, in our world, so much is dark and so much fear is there. And I have to wonder sometimes, uh, maybe we're all still a little afraid of the dark. Whether it's the lack of physical light or the dark fog of depression and anxiety or just the metaphorical darkness of a world that's gone far different than God intended. Uh, darkness has, has been a reality since the very beginning of time. It's a reality for all of God's people. Think back to the story of Israel. Darkness was this ever-present reality they dealt with. From Genesis 1, that God speaks light into darkness. God is continually moving light into dark places. We've talked about this the last two weeks. And then you look back at the story, and they wind up in times of darkness, don't they? They end up in, in, in Egypt, and they're in slavery and bondage for 400 years. God seems to be silent in the midst of this dark period in their history, but God frees them. And even in their wilderness wandering, you remember God shows up, and how does he show up? He shows up as a pillar of fire. He shows up as light in the midst of this darkness as they're waiting for what's coming next. But they enter the promised land, and things seem like they're getting better, and God's finally fulfilling his promise to provide land to his people, the promised land, but eventually they end up in exile again. Darkness and light is just this continual journey that Israel ends up in back and forth. And I want to turn this morning to Isaiah chapter 8, which is a prophecy about darkness and then about light this morning. And I, I hope you'll find how this intersects perhaps with your life today in, in 2017. Because I think even though this was a prophecy for the people of Israel far uh, a long time ago, it's also a word that can provide hope for us in the midst of our darkness as well. So this is Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. And again, this is a prophecy about Israel as they're about to be taken over, sent into exile from the Assyrians, or by the Assyrians. Uh, Isaiah 8 verse 5, The Lord spoke to me again, 
Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Razine and the son of Remalia. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overthrow all its channels, run over all its banks and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Emmanuel. I think it's interesting that cry, Emmanuel, God with us, that shows up later on in scripture. But just like we don't like a grim diagnosis, all of this is about darkness and what's going to happen. Israel seeks a second opinion. They, They go to spiritists and mediums trying to find somebody who can give them a better word about their future than this word that's actually from God. So I want to read on in verse 19 as the reality of things comes forward for them as well. It does no good to seek second opinions when God's your first. This is verse 19 and following. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Not an appealing picture for Israel's future. But I wonder today, how many of you can understand that prophecy a bit? How many of you feel like in this season right now, it's a season of darkness, maybe a season of despair, maybe depression or anxiety is, is, is taking over your life in some way. It's amazing how these prophecies long ago can speak into our reality today. I reflect back on this last year, 2017. It's that time of year where the television programs kind of do the year in review. Uh, and it's that time for us to reflect back a little bit. Think about all those moments of 2017. For some of us, 2017 may have been a great year. This was the year where that grandbaby was born or you got the great news of the job that was coming or a new relationships walked into your life. 2017 may be the year that you remember real in a positive sense. It may be a year of light, but for many of you, this has been a year of darkness and a year of challenge. It's been a year where you'll remember news that came that wasn't so good. Think back just about what's happened in the last year. Hurricanes obviously are a story of 2017. Hurricane Harvey and Irma. Those images still stick with us, don't they, of Houston and the streets and downtown and all of the stories of what happened in the midst of that, an amazing storm with water that piled up. Think back to the Mexico City earthquake and other natural disasters like that. There's the California fires. How many of you have emblazoned in your mind that picture of the person driving on the 405 with the hillside burning? Just an amazing scene if you've ever driven that way toward the Getty, that picture of just fires overtaking homes being destroyed. We also have the history of, uh, of this year of Las Vegas and Sutherland Springs. 2017 currently it, it played host to two of the five deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history. But worldwide, we are facing the greatest humanitarian crisis in history. And a lot of it's going unseen and unknown. We are now witnessing the highest levels of displacement of people being forced out of the homes that they've known, that we've ever seen. Over 65 million people have been forcibly removed from the places that they've called home. Think about that. 65 million, 22 million are refugees, uh, over half of whom are under the age of 18. 
And you hear these numbers and you realize that darkness is on the advance. It's hard to imagine light. Every time the air conditioning comes on in here, by the way, it's like a parable of sorts, right? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I was watching as I was worshiping this morning, the reminder that light is so close to being snuffed out, isn't it? It's like a parable, the way things are, that light is just hanging on by a thread. And sometimes we wonder if it's going to stay. And fortunately, we've got a lighter if one of these goes out. But it's a parable of sorts, isn't it? Because it seems as if light may be losing. It seems as if the darkness may be advancing. And we look around, and even though we may be protected from displacement, like some people in the world are, doesn't it seem like Isaiah 8.22 is the reality of our world? Then they will look toward the earth. And see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And if things seem hard in this season for you, if this is a season of darkness, then it's very hard to get into the Christmas spirit, isn't it? Because you see everyone else around who's putting up the lights and the trees and going on with their lives. But for you, this year may look different. It may be more difficult to get there. After all, we celebrate a Christmas story a little differently than Mary and Joseph did. We celebrate light, put up lights around our houses and in our trees. But the first Christmas was set in the context of darkness. If you think back to it, God made his entrance into the world in the most surprising of ways. Jesus entry into Bethlehem was the first word spoken by God in about four centuries from what we can tell when it comes to scripture and those that follow. Have we forgotten the surprise of Christmas? I mean, no one expected good news to arrive on the scene the way that it did. I mean, think about this. We have a story that we tell in our culture about Christmas, but very different from the story as it really happened because the Christmas story was a messy story full of scandal, full of darkness, full of grief and darkness. I mean, remember Jesus, mom and dad, <laughs> that story is a little bit hard to take, right? Hard to tell the story of, right? Unmarried parents with a child on the way and a pregnancy coming. While there's a story about the virgin birth that we know and believe, Not everyone in that day would have believed that story. Let's be honest, right? In fact, Jesus, there would have been a word that would have been attached to him that people would have taunted him with probably all of his growing up. It was the word mamzer in that culture. Every culture has a word mamzer, word that talks about a child that's born without legitimate parents. Jesus wasn't born in a hospital either. No one was during those days, of course, but not even a home with family around. He was born in a manger beside four-legged animals as his friends, his mates. Jesus is also born with a bounty on his head from day one. Herod is after him because he's heard the story of the Magi in the years that follow, and he's heard about a king of the Jews that's coming. Herod was a madman. He killed his own son, and there's all kinds of stories about the violence that he enforced uh, to make sure that he and Caesar had their way in Palestine at the time, but... But Jesus was on the run from birth. He was a refugee in Egypt. You realize that, right? It's a story that gives hope to those who are displaced in our world to realize that Jesus was displaced in his first two years. And he found a place in the midst of a place that had been a place of bondage for the the Israelites, right? Years ago, they'd wound up in Egypt and they were there because they were in slavery at that time. It was a time of darkness. And, And where do Mary and Joseph and Jesus go when they need help to find a place since they've been thrown away from home? They go to Egypt. In fact, there's a picture I want to show right now that maybe you want to conserve your Christmas card next year, right? It's a picture of Jesus, the refugee in Egypt with Mary holding him and Joseph kind of keeping watch with the donkey that's there. Just imagine what that was like the first two years of his life. He's not 
in the land of promise. He's far away in a land that held the past of darkness for the people of Israel. And I think about the story and I think about the story that we tell and we've missed what it's about. Jesus was a survivor of an infanticide from a crazy madman ruler. Jesus was born into a time of darkness. It was a time of silence. It was a time of waiting. Jesus was born into the Jewish people in a time that seemed like it was far past their prime. But with hope that maybe things could be changed by God who always upends expectations. See, it changes things when you consider that darkness is the setting that Jesus was born into. Yet in the midst of the darkness of the Christmas story, I imagine there are still some in Bethlehem who were whispering about the birth of one who would come before Jesus is born. They'd read the stories. They'd heard the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and others who had talked about a Messiah that might be on, their, on its way. And so they continue the whispers. And, and that's where I want to take us back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Because after this promise about utter darkness that they would be cast into, there's a sign of hope that comes in the next chapter. And I want to read uh, Isaiah 9, verse 1 at the beginning. Nevertheless. Nevertheless is the first word of Isaiah 9. Now, that's an important word that's packed with meaning, isn't it? Because in chapter 8, God has promised them, you're going to go into darkness. Assyria is going to take you over. Your sin is caught up to you. But in chapter 9, things change in an instant with a word. Nevertheless. The first word God speaks after promising Israel darkness is a word of change. And I'm wondering this morning, how many of us could use the word nevertheless as our word as we turn the calendar in this next year? In the midst of whatever was in this last year for you, the darkness that seems present, that you wonder if it'll ever go away. The word of Isaiah 9 may be the word that you want to carry into this new year. Despite all that, nevertheless, there's a word of hope to come. Do you need a break with your past? Could you use hope for a new future? Maybe this year has been a rough one. Well, there's hope that things might be different in the days to come because our God isn't just a God who speaks nevertheless centuries ago. He's a God who continues to speak the word nevertheless into our realities and into our darkness. In spite of all that you've been through, nevertheless is the word that God wants to speak into your life as well. What's the worst thing you've done? Despite that, God's word is still nevertheless because of the gift that he promised centuries ago that has come into the world. But I want to continue reading because nevertheless, it's just a transition word. There's great hope in chapter nine. Let me read this beginning in verse one. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire for to us. A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. 
This is where we draw the hope of Jesus, isn't it? And I wonder if those whispers are there in the midst of the darkness of the first century. Don't forget, God spoke the nevertheless, and in the following chapter, you remember what he said, a child will be born that will change everything. The hard thing is there's no promise in Isaiah 9 about when this is going to happen. They know darkness, and they know that light's going to be on its way, but there's no promise about when that will happen. And that can be hard because we don't like waiting. We don't sometimes like the timing that God provides. But waiting is always filled with meaning if we know there's more to the story. Nine months of pregnancy means something when there's a child and cries you're going to hear on the other side. Darkness is darkness, but if light is on its way, there can be hope even in the most difficult of circumstances. And the hope of Isaiah 9 is that Isaiah 8 will not be the last word. Just as in our day, the hope of Easter is that Friday and Saturday will be followed by Sunday. So today we're still waiting. And sometimes we forget this, don't we, about the Christmas story? We think about it being a past event that we come and we celebrate. We talk about the Magi and the shepherds, and we'll do that next week. We'll tell the story of Christmas. But let me assure you of this. Christmas is not just about a thing God did in the past. Christmas is about those who are in darkness being reminded that just as Jesus came once as a baby and as a child, Jesus has promised to return again. And so we celebrate Christmas and the way they were waiting on light to come into the world. We're doing the same, aren't we? We live in darkness in 2017, and we wonder, how are things possibly going to get better? We're living in Saturday, wondering if this is a one-day story of pain or if it's a three-day story of resurrection. But over and over again in Scripture, the story is told where darkness gives way to light. And that's the prophecy that Isaiah gives, but it doesn't end with Jesus, does it? It continues to this day. And so when we rehearse this story at Christmas... When you read the story of Luke 2 to your children, or you read the story of Matthew 2 to your children, or John 1, what you're telling them is not just a story about what God did. What you're promising them is you're rehearsing a story of what God will do one day again. And this is our hope, church. Is that the light that came into the world, though perilous, is not burning out. It still continues to flicker, and one of these days we'll get to celebrate it uh, with Jesus as the sun who lights up the night sky. Again, one day there will be no more night is the promise of Revelation 21 and 22. So today, in the midst of your darkness, let me assure you that light is on its way. It may be hard to see, and sometimes we see light and we wonder if it's an oncoming train, don't we? Let me assure you, light, Jesus, is the light of the world. And he said that we as his people are what? He says, you are the light of the world as well. City on a hill that cannot be hidden. The role of the church is to continue to shine our lights in the midst of this dark world. Shine like stars that stand out and reveal the glory of God. So church, that's our call. Is when the light goes out to light it again. Got one more candle, actually two more that we'll light next week. And I hope you'll come back next week because we're going to celebrate this story and celebrate this light. And it's amazing what happens because this doesn't light up a room on its own, but, but next week when we come together and we celebrate our Christmas Eve service, what you'll see is light begin to spread throughout the room. It's an amazing parable, isn't it? Of the way things work in the world. So for those of you who feel like you're enlightened right now, we need your light more than ever. Please shine that light. Celebrate what God has done. Continue to hold that up. But for those who are in darkness, I want to give you hope again. Because God speaks his nevertheless, even today. And light is on its way. We'll celebrate it next week. Let's pray as we close our time this morning.
Oh God, you are our God and earnestly we seek you. We long for you as thirsty people of the desert, long for water in a dry and weary desert where there is no water. We long for you as people who are hidden in darkness, long for a light to light their way. So God, would you shine your light into this world? Would you continue to sustain our lights as we know it's so easy that they are, are extinguished? God, things are so perilous in our world. God, I pray this morning for all those who are displaced who are refugees in lands far away and even in our own land, God, that we would be a people who would not let their lights go out, God, that we would remind them that there's a day on its way and that the Savior of the world knows exactly what they're walking through. May we be the light of the world, God, in every person we encounter. May we continue to shine our lights so they may see our good deeds and glorify you who's in heaven. That's our prayer today, God. So God, for those who are in darkness, I pray that you would provide hope this week, that they would sense a glimpse, God, just of the nevertheless that you're speaking into their lives. And next week as we come together, may you remind us, God, in parable form together, that as we shine our lights, God, you continue to give us hope that this story is not finished. It doesn't end with Jesus' birth. It'll end and go on forever with his return. So God, we anticipate that. We wait patiently, as hard as that is, believing in your truth and never extinguishing our hope. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this prayer. Amen.